Good morning. Another beautiful day the Lord has made. What a beautiful weekend we've had. You know, after after we uh, are we hearing? Okay. After we appointed uh, three new elders, this is the first time I've been up to do openings since October, and and just. Uh, to look out and hear the chatter and everything, like I've always said, I love to hear that. And fellowshipping and people catching up, it's a great thing and a beautiful day. I want to say if you're visiting with us this morning, we're certainly glad to have you as our guest. We invite you back this evening at 4 o'clock. Also, we have visitor cards in the back of the pew. We'd love for you to fill that out and uh, Hand that in, and if you have the chance to stick around, we'd love to get to know you. It's good to see Pam back with us this morning. I think it's appropriate for me to say that. And uh, if anybody notices her hair, uh, I'm the one. Good or bad, I'm the one. So, so you learn several things when you have a lady with one arm. Also, I want to mention the men's retreat coming up. Now, it'll be here in, in less than two weeks, a week from Friday. We just checked the sign-up sheet. We have 22 that signed up. We, we would like to get uh, 30 if we can. We always shoot for 30, so we're on the right track. And uh, so we want to remind you of that. And we have a, a, a guest speaker. His name is Stephen Rogers. And when Chris comes up, he's going to tell you a little bit more about him. So he will be speaking Friday night and Saturday night. So that's March the 18th and 19th. Also, as Dave reported Wednesday, they had a good CYC. Uh, Sam Knapp was baptized, and, and uh, that was announced Wednesday night. And we're really, really uh, glad to hear that. Also, uh, Junior Sullivan was laid to rest on Thursday, and let's, let's keep that family in our prayers. Uh, Connie, Kim, and Greg, and, and the rest of the family, we just we want to keep uh, continue prayers for them. Also, let, let's remember what's going on over in Europe: the war, uh, Ukraine, and Russia, and and, and uh, it, it's just an awful thing that's going on to even down to children, men and women, and, and we need to pray about that, that they can get that settled uh, and it doesn't get a whole lot worse. I have a note to read. I, I just received this this morning, and uh, Susie Faulkner, Susie Evanson, wanted me to read this. said, it is with a broken heart that I, have the, that I share the passing of the most gentle man, Larry Faulkner on Saturday, March 5th, at home. said, so we take comfort in knowing he is rejoicing in heaven with his parents, whom he loved dearly. Funeral arrangements are incomplete at this time. Love, Susie Evanson. Larry Faulkner lived next door, and uh, many of us know Larry, knew Larry and his family, and we want to keep that family in our prayers. Bow with me as we go to God in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. Thank you, Father, for, 
for this time of year when the, when the seasons change and, and it just shows your power, Father, and, and, and the beauty of your nature. And uh, we just thank you, Father, that, that you are loving, that you are all-powerful, and, and Father, that, uh, that we have you and your son Jesus to, to lean on in, uh, in hard times. And Father, we pray for those uh, who's lost loved ones. Uh, we pray for Connie and Greg and Kim and, and Junior's family and, and grandchildren. We pray, Father, that you'll bless and comfort them uh, in a way that only you can. And Father, we pray for those, uh, those who are sick. We pray for those who are on a bulletin. Father, that, uh, that later on that uh, Dave will be going over our sick list, and, and, and we pray for those people, and, and we pray, Father, a special prayer for Kristen Ward, Father, that, that you'll bless Kristen and be with that family. We thank you, Father, for all that we have, all that you bless us with. We pray that you'll be with uh, Chris as he brings us a lesson today. Father, help us to, to uh, listen to what he has to say and, and apply these words to our hearts and, and do uh, what we, we need to do and what you would have us to do. We pray, Father, that you'll forgive us uh, when we fall short in things you have us to do. We pray for the Faulkner family, Lord, uh, that you will bless them too and thankful for the examples that their families had set over the years. Thank you for Jesus and the hope that we have in him. In his name we pray. Amen. Just one announcement to make. Uh, there will be no children's Bible hour today. Uh, if you would like to handle that class uh, during the worship period of the, of the service, uh, let David know, and, but no one has signed up per se yet, so as of today, there's no children's Bible hour for, for the, at least for today. At this time, let us stand, and we'll sing hymn number 19. <clears throat> No! 
Please be seated. <clears throat> Next hymn this morning, number 230, Hide Me, O My Savior, 230. And after this hymn, Brother Jason Stevens will have our scripture reading and prayer. Hide me, O my Savior, hide me in thy holy place. Resting there beneath thy glory, oh, let me see thy face. Our scripture reading will be taken from Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews 9, verses 15 through 18, if you'd like to follow along with your own copy. And so he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the eternal inheritance he has promised, since he died to set free from the violations committed under the first covenant. For where there is a will, the death of one who made it must be proven. For a will takes effect only at death, since it carries no force while the one who made it is alive. So even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning thanking you. Thanking you for the opportunity to come together and worship. We thank you for our family here at Rome. We thank you for the body of believers here, Lord. We thank you for the strength that we give one another and that you give to us. Lord, we pray that you'll be with the families who are hurting today. We pray that you'll be with the Faulkner family. We pray that you will be with the Sullivan family, Lord. We pray that you will continue to be with all those who are suffering the loss of loved ones. Lord, we pray that you will be with those who are battling cancer. pray that you will be with them. and We pray that you will especially be with Kristen and James and Mason and 
be, and Lord, we pray that you will be with them and watch over them. Lord, we also pray that you'll be with Jennifer and Casey and the kids, and we pray that you will comfort them or be with them and watch over them, and, and we pray that you will give us all strength, help us to support one another, Lord, and we just pray that you will bless us here at Rome. Lord, we pray that you will uh, go with us now as we continue in worship to you. We pray that we will worship you in truth and in spirit. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the covenant that you have made through him for us that gives us the hope of eternal life, Lord. And we just thank you for that. And we pray that you will forgive us when we fall short. And we thank you for the forgiveness that you do give to us. Lord, go with us again now as we go through this worship. May we do so in a way that's pleasing unto you. And may it edify those and may it comfort, comfort those who need it, Lord. And through Jesus we pray. Amen. Next time this morning, number 217, He Loves Me. <clears throat> 217. Why did the Savior have highly and come to earthly low? Where His grace would not be seen, because He loved me so. morning as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I'd like to start reading from John chapter 13, start with verse 21. When Jesus said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked around one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was a leaning on Jesus' bosom of one of his disciples who Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him, to ask, 
who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. The scene of the last Passover is an interesting one. Perhaps the most important thing was that this was the last time the Old Testament feast would ever be observed. The New Testament would bring a new meal. This is also the last time that Christ could have all 12 of his apostles together. Jesus had just taught the 12 an important lesson by washing their feet. Wonder what was going through the mind of Judas as his feet was being washed by the one that he was about to betray. We know what Jesus was thinking. He was troubled in spirit and said that one of you will betray me. The disciples were stunned. Their reaction, who could it be? Peter couldn't stand it, so he has John ask, Lord, who is it? And Jesus, as we heard there, answered him, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread after I dip it. Can you imagine hearing that, sitting there listening to Jesus and hearing that, those words? Well, I think we'd all be watching really close on who was, who was getting that, that bread. We now come to the, this table of our Lord where we, where we take the bread and the cup are offered. And this represents the body of Christ that was given for us. The cup on the table is the blood of Christ and the bread is his body. That's the type of bread and cup that we should be striving for. Would you bow with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father. We're thankful for this opportunity we have to come around this table, Father, to remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us. Father, we pray that you would bless us as we partake of this bread. Help us to think back to the cross and the sacrifice he made. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. with me again, please. Father in heaven, we come to you again, thanking you for the blood that Christ shed for us, Father, for the remission of our sins. We're thankful for that sacrifice he made, and he did so, so willingly. And it's through his name we pray. Amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper. All you have to do is look around at the news a little bit. You can see what, how blessed of a nation we are. Uh, we have containers in the back of the, the building here for you to put your offering. We ask that you uh, go to prayer with me as we bless that offering. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this day, Father, and we're thankful for the opportunity to give back a portion of what you've blessed us with. Father, we pray that you would bless this, this offering. Bless those that see over it, Father, that we can use it to further your kingdom. And it's through Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Okay. I guess we'll have children's Bible hour. Uh, so <laughs> if you'll please stand, we'll sing hymn number 222, He Will Pilot Me. <clears throat> and since this time the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> Him this morning, number 207. Talk to gentle voice, 207. Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Uh, like uh, Gary said, the men's retreat is coming up, and if you uh, do not normally go to that, it is a fabulous time of fellowship and learning. 
This year, one of uh, my mentors, his name's Stephen Rogers, will be joining us to deliver the lessons. Uh, I'm grateful for that because I don't have to deliver the lessons. And you'll be grateful for that because he is an amazing speaker and a great thinker. He's one of the best evangelists I've ever known, but he's also a straight shooter, a very straightforward kind of guy. And uh, you'll be blessed by the lessons that he delivers that day. And just being able to spend time around him uh, will be good for you. One of the things Stephen taught me years ago was excellence with enthusiasm. And that's one of our topics for uh, the men's retreat. A lot of times we do things... uh, and maybe we even do them right, but we're not excited about doing them, and it shows sometimes. And so we should be doing uh, excellent things, and we should be doing them with enthusiasm, like leading our families and leading the church and being righteous men. So he's going to spend some time talking to us about those kinds of things. Uh, it's not this weekend, but I think it's next weekend, isn't it? It's March 18th and 19th. I haven't looked at the calendar to be able to say it's next weekend or not, but it's coming up, March 18th and 19th. Um, be, be there. Uh, it'll be a fabulous time, I think, of fellowship and, and of learning as well. Make sure you sign up before the 13th um, because, so we can get uh, food ready and all those kinds of things. Uh, but that'll be, that'll be a real blessing to you, I think. Today we're back in the, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. Back in Hebrews, chapter 9. We're going to spend uh, our time today starting in verse 15 all the way through the end of the chapter. This chapter you're going to be familiar with. Uh, you're not going to find a lot of things in this chapter that you don't already know. There's, uh, there's cover- he's covering some ground uh, that we need to hear, that is beneficial for us. Uh, but I think you already know it. Uh, and so uh, I think, I hope that you'll be blessed with uh, the time that we spend today studying this text. Throughout this last several chapters, starting in chapter 8, uh, the Hebrew writer starts talking to us about this new covenant God's making with man. Uh, he's concerned, God is, because the covenant, the old one, the Mosaical covenant, never stuck with people like God wanted it to. It never did what it was intended to do. You see, God has always wanted His laws written on our hearts so that it affects every aspect of our lives. He wants us, and He wants us changed and transformed more and more into the image of His Son. That has always been the case. It's always been His desire is to transform us. That didn't work under the Old Covenant. They misunderstood. They misapplied it. And they literally wrote it on their foreheads uh, through through little scrolls. And they would tie them to to their hair. And they would tie them to their beards. And they would wear necklaces that that talked of uh, Scripture but it never penetrated the exterior. It never went deeper than their skin. And so, at least for a lot of people, it never went, at least for the majority of Israel, I would say, it never went beyond their skin. It just stayed on top. And that wasn't pleasing to God. And so now the Hebrew writer is talking to us about this brand new deal he's making with people that if they will be his people... It will be because His Word has sank down into their hearts. If you will be His people, it is because His Word has sank down deep into your heart. It is because it has changed you. Transformation is necessary. You cannot stay who you are and still be inside of Christ. Not how it works. And so, throughout the last couple of chapters, He's been talking to us about what this new covenant looks like. And today he, he's still in the middle of that. So let's let's dive into the text. Hebrews chapter 9. Let's start in verse 15. 
This is the section of scripture that Jason read for us this morning, but we'll spend some time very quickly in the opening verses here. Verse 15 says, Therefore he is the mediator of the new covenant. Well, what's the, every time you see therefore, I know you guys have heard this before, but every time you see the therefore, you have to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, right? So what is this therefore, therefore? Why, why is he talking about Jesus as the mediator of the new covenant? Well, Jesus has done some things that qualifies him to be the mediator of this new covenant. He's made a sacrifice, right? He's become the high priest, right? He's become the pure and blameless, blemishless sacrifice that God demanded for our sins. And so that has qualified him to be our mediator, to stand in between us and God and to make reconciliation between us and him. You see, the problem is our sin had offended God. It had put distance between us and Him. And now through Jesus' sacrifice, we can come close to, to Him. But Jesus is our, our mediator. He's the one that makes reconciliation between us and God because of this, this perfect sacrifice that He's made. Continue on in verse 15. He says, So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. He's telling you what you already know, right? If you're going to pass down something to your children, you make a will to make sure that that happens, right? To make sure that all your assets are allocated in the the right spots and to where you want them to go. You have a, a will, but the will doesn't go into effect until you die, right? That's what the Hebrew writer is saying here. Jesus has died, and it was in his will, this new covenant between us and God, this reconciliation, this reuniting of two parties, this friendship that has been broken that Jesus put back together between us and God. That happened at his death. And, he's, and the Hebrew writer is arguing that it only happened because of his death. It's only true that we can be friends with God, that we can be reconciled back to him because of Jesus' death. God's offering us a deal that seems too good to be true, doesn't it? Remember when the government was like, we're going to send you guys stimulus checks and you won't have to pay them back. And it's going to be awesome. And we thought, free money. Now we're seeing the fallout from some of that. But it seemed like a deal that was too good to be true, right? This deal, while it seems too good to be true, that we can be friends with God again, something that we lost in the Garden of Eden, this intimacy that we lost in the Garden, mankind, not you, but Adam and Eve, and through them, the whole rest of mankind lost this intimacy with the Father because of sin, and He can't be a part of that, and so it's, Distance was put between us. The friendship was broken. The intimacy was broken. But at Jesus' death, now that has been brought back together. And we can be friends with God again. The deal seems too good to be true. But the Hebrew writer and God, the Holy Spirit, says that this deal is not too good to be true. In fact, Jesus' death assures you that this deal is exactly true. Something you already know. But still a powerful thought, isn't it? Let's continue reading. 
chapter, chapter 9, verse 19. He's just going to get more and more practical as, as this text rolls on. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So... This whole, this whole deal about the hyssop and the scarlet wool, let's spend some time talking about that because it's a little bit of an interesting aside, isn't it? You start wondering why he's including these little tidbits. And if you don't know what hyssop is and you don't understand all the things that's going on behind this, maybe you're, you're kind of lost a little bit. So we need to spend some time thinking through what he's talking about here. Again, the Hebrew writer is very, very fond of bringing in the Old Testament. This guy is steeped in the Old Testament. He knows it backward and forward. He's lived it. He's most likely a, a, a former Jew himself who has come to Christ. Um, but he knows the Old Testament. And so when he starts talking about Jesus' sacrifice and the violent, bloody nature of that sacrifice, his mind goes back to Exodus chapter 24, when at the very beginning of God's first relationship with Israel, his, his first deal with mankind through Moses, he pictures this scene from Exodus chapter 24 with the hyssop and the scarlet cord. Um, so there's Moses standing on, at the base of Mount Sinai and he's delivering the law to the people and he's got the Ten Commandments uh, in front of him. And he's talking to the people about all the restrictions and all the commandments that God has demanded that they follow if they will continue to be His people. Remember, to be God's people, you have to adhere to His laws. Nothing's changed in that regard. Some of the laws have changed, certainly, under Jesus' covenant. But if you will be God's person, you have to adhere to His laws. It has to sink down into you. It has to change who you are. And so there's Moses talking to the people about what God demands from them if they will continue to be his people. And so to seal this deal, to seal this covenant, Moses does something with blood because blood is necessary. A death is necessary to seal a covenant. It helps you see how much you have been saved from. When something has to die so that you can be purified, something happens in your mind, doesn't it? You begin to see the preciousness of this covenant and of your salvation. And that just becomes more and more obvious and more and more precious as the sacrifice gets more and more precious, doesn't it? So under the old law, there's blood of bulls and goats and these things were sacrificed so that people could be close, so they could have reconciliation with God. What's so interesting here is, what's the blood on? Did you, did you notice in the text what the blood was on? It's on everything, isn't it? Go back and look at your text in, in Hebrews 9, 19 through 23. It's, it's literally everywhere. And it's everywhere because of this hyssop, uh, this hyssop branch. Moses would have gotten probably a cedar 
wood uh, stick. And he would have tied a hyssop branch, like the one pictured behind me, onto the cedar wood stick with a scarlet, scarlet wool, uh, wool uh, rope. And then he would have dipped it in the blood of the sacrifice, and then he would have slung it at you. You ever been painting and washing out the paintbrushes, and you kind of you know, do that kind of motion in the, in the sink to get the, the, paint, the water or the paintbrush out and all the paint? That's what Moses is doing, but he's doing it with his hyssop, and he's throwing it at the people. And so the people are covered with blood. The book, the, the book that Moses is reading from where all of God's commandments, that thing is covered with blood. So interesting, right? And if you turn back to Exodus chapter 24, the book, he doesn't mention the book. Huh. But then you keep on reading in Hebrews 9, and he starts talking about the furnishings of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is covered with blood. He, he sprinkles it with blood too. And then he goes into the tabernacle, and he starts sprinkling all the furniture stuff that's in there with blood. You start thinking, well, what's going on? Why is this? Why are you doing this? It seems odd to sprinkle everything with blood, not just the people, but the book and the temple furnishings. And in a little bit, you're going to find that it even does it in heaven. Hmm. So interesting. Look at what he says in verse 23. In Hebrews 9, verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. He's talking about the tabernacle and the furnishings and all the kind of stuff. He says that was necessary. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So he says there's some stuff in heaven that's been purified, sanctified with blood. What? What's going on? Why would heavenly things need to be purified? Are they not already pure? They are, right? Why would a book, why would a tabernacle, why would furniture need to be purified with blood? These things are inanimate objects. Why would they need to be purified with blood? You start thinking about it and you come to the conclusion that your interaction and our interactions with these things have contaminated them with sin. They've contaminated them. They're dirty now because they've touched us, because we've touched them. And our sin has, for lack of a better term, I suppose, gotten on these objects and they need to be purified. Now, that's not literally true, right? But spiritually speaking, our sin contaminates everything, doesn't it? Have you ever stopped to consider the seriousness of sin? Have you ever stopped and, and thought about the ramifications, the fallout from your sin, from my sin? It's pretty vast. Stop for a minute and just think with me for, for just a little bit about the seriousness of sin. You choosing yourself over God demanded a violent, bloody sacrifice. Not just any sacrifice would suffice. It had to be a perfect, voluntary sacrifice. That was the problem with the blood of bulls and goats. They were perfect. They were blemishless, right? But they weren't voluntary. So he was started looking for a perfect, voluntary sacrifice. And that could only come from one category. Can't come from people, can it? Because we're not perfect. We're not blemishless. Sin has contaminated us. And we need a way out. We need 
a safety net. We need help. We can't do this on our own. So we can't, a person can't be the perfect sacrifice because we're not, we're not pure, we're not blemishless. But also an animal can't be the perfect sacrifice, can it? Because it's not voluntary. It's led to the slaughter. It doesn't go on of its own because they don't have any uh, free will, they don't have any volition <coughs> of their own. So man can't do this sacrifice. Animals can't do this sacrifice. So what other category is there left? Who else could you have make this sacrifice? I suppose an angel could have made it. God could have told an angel to make this sacrifice. And they would have done so. Right? <coughs> Sorry. This angel would have, no doubt, followed God's command <clears throat> and offered the sacrifice. He's pure. He's blemishless. But it wouldn't have been voluntary, would it? Because it would have been a command. <coughs> a command that the angel probably would have, no doubt, followed happily. But it wouldn't have been voluntary. And so you need, we need a voluntary, perfect sacrifice. And the only being that fits that bill is God himself. He put himself in an impossible situation knowing that it was going to have to be him that made this sacrifice and he made it happily. You're beginning to see the seriousness of sin. It's a big deal, isn't it? Sin is missing the mark. God set a standard and you fell short of that standard. It shows lust, greed, pride, jealousy, and hate. Over him. And it's ruined everything we touch. That lingering look, that fantasy, however momentary, that pornographic webpage, that affair killed your relationship with God. And it will destroy you from the inside out. It will take everything you love. You either get a hold on lust and control it, or it will take everything you love away from you. It will separate you from your spouse. It will steal away your children. It will steal away your passion for the church and your love of Scripture. It will destroy everything you love. It will destroy every relationship you have. It demands to be number one. And if you allow it room in your life, it will kill off every other contender. Every time. Want to know how to deal with lust? You get in an authentic relationship with your spouse and with people of the same gender as you. That's how you kill it. Lust likes to build fantasies inside your head. You need to make the reality better than the fantasy. If you've ever been on the receiving end of lust, you know it's destructive power. But it's no different than any other sin, is it? Let's take a minute and just think about greed. Your love of money is just as dangerous as lust, isn't it? It'll drive you to make more of it and it's never satiated it's always going to demand more you'll work overtime you'll get a second job you'll find a side hustle you'll make compromises you'll restrict your giving you'll make excuses all to get more money we live in a dangerous time uh, for for this with inflation running rampant in our history of prosperity in america greed too will take everything from you because like lust it demands to be number one it can't allow any other contender. 
and you're familiar with this from Matthew 6, verse 26, right? God says you can't love both he and what? Money, right? Both demand to be number one. And if you allow greed or lust or hate or any other sins <clears throat> that so run freely around us in our culture, if you allow them an inch in your life, if you don't deal with them right now, they'll kill everything else that's going on in your life. They'll steal everything else that's going on in your life. Everything you love, it will take from you. Go back and read John chapter 10. Sometime maybe today during lunch or sometime this week, Jesus talks about the difference between he as the good shepherd and a hired hand. He kind of pictures Satan as someone who comes in and his job is one. He had, you, ever, you ever hear somebody say, you had one job. Satan's got one job. His job is to kill and destroy, to take everything you love and sin's how he's going to do it. We have to get a handle on sin. You can't control it. You have to kick it out. This thing is more addictive than anything you've ever, any substance you've ever heard of. It will, uh, this famous uh, saying that says, it will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. This is true. It will take everything from you. You cannot allow it an inch. It has to be removed from your life. Thanks. <laughs> Still dealing with allergies, I guess. <clears throat> right now, greed may have such a powerful hold on you. that You're going to have to do something big to break its hold on you. Living below your means changes the way you think about money. The, one, the, the greed is so insidious that it, it marches around as an angel of light. Right now, some of you are thinking, I can't give away my money. The Bible talks about being a good steward. It does. It sure does. So find a good spot where kingdom work can be done with your money. And you'll have been a good steward. Now, in your mind, this is the way sin treats us, isn't it? So tricky, so deceitful. Now you're thinking, well, I have to be careful because I've only got so much money and the Bible says I have to take care of my family. It does say that, doesn't it? Because if you can't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. It does say that. So make a plan. Find something, an amount that you look at your bills, make a budget just like everybody else in the world. Make a budget, live by it, and then something with the rest of it. That's kingdom oriented. Give it away. Help somebody. That's how you kill greed. It doesn't, it doesn't die easy. None of these die easy. See the seriousness of sin? I think as 21st century American Christians, we've become so comfortable around sin. Sometimes we don't always see it. And we certainly don't always see the ramifications and how dangerous it is. It is the most dangerous thing on the planet. Because it has the ability to take everything from you. And it is the thing that cost Jesus his life. Sin is serious. It cannot be toyed with. It must be eradicated. Those are just two examples, but you can, you can fill in the rest, I'm sure. Just two small examples to show you that it cannot be allowed in your life 
It has to be dealt with. can't be controlled. It has to be kicked out. Not only does sin run your relationships, but it also runs your relationship with God. It's not just concerned about running your relationship with people, this horizontal aspect. It's also concerned with running our relationship with God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 teaches this. Uh, Isaiah, we're going to look at a couple of passages in Isaiah. Go ahead and flip there if you, if you will. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. The people during Isaiah's day have a problem in sin, like all of us. Is there a problem that they've, they've not gotten control of it? They haven't it out of their lives. In fact, they've given it an inch and it's taken a mile and they are now 15 years down the road and have woken up and don't know how they've gotten to this point. And God kind of looks at them and says, it's not my fault. It's not that my arm's too short to save you. It's not that I can't hear you. And so what's the problem, God? Look in verse 2. But your iniquities, your sin, It's made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The fault doesn't lie in heaven with him. The fault lies on earth with us. Our sin, our decisions have made, the decisions that we made have have corrupted us, have contaminated us and they have ripped every good relationship away from us. If you love your relationship with your spouse or with your family or with your friends and with your God, sin will take it from you. Because that's all it does. It destroys. It kills. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. Let me show you what happens if you allow it to stay in your life for as long as they've allowed it to stay in their life. If you don't get control of it, what will it cost you? Well, this is one thing it will cost you. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Whoa. You stop right there because he just slapped you in the face, right? You rulers of Sodom. He's talking to the Israelites, right? But he calls them you rulers, you people who were in charge of Sodom and Gomorrah. Ooh, that got their attention, didn't it? Right off the bat, Isaiah is coming strong. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Man, they must have, they must have set them back. <clears throat> What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. He says, I see you making all these sacrifices. What's that mean to me? It doesn't mean anything to me. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Well, why not? That's what you said you delighted in. That's what you said you wanted. Why doesn't he delight in that stuff? When you come to appear before me, verse 12, Who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Who told you to come in and trample my courts with all these beasts of burden? Bring no more, here's the key word, vain offerings. All the stuff that they were doing, they were going through the rituals, they were going through the movements, but guess where their heart was? Just as far away from him as possible. That's what sin can do to us. It can convince us that going through the motions is enough. It's not enough. It's never been enough. Remember, God wants people whose hearts are His, who 
have allowed his word to sink deep down into their hearts and it's transforming who they are, not just in little ways, but in every way. It affects what we do with our minds. It affects what we do with our money. It affects what we do with our relationships. It affects everything. And when we can't get in control of sin, it will kill not just your relationship with your friends and your spouse and your family, but it'll kill your relationship with God. And that's exactly what's happened here in Isaiah chapter 1. They hadn't gotten control of it, and it's taking everything from them. Everything. And it'll land them up in Babylonian captivity not too many years from this, from this point in Isaiah. Sin is our most pressing need. The disease that demands a hospice stay for all of us. But the Hebrew writer tells us there's a cure. In fact, he says that Jesus' pure and voluntary one-time sacrifice has the ability to cleanse us from sin if we're willing to submit to him. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. He says, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. You ever seen Grey's Anatomy? You ever seen Grey's Anatomy? So after you watched an episode or two of Grey's Anatomy, do you think you could diagnose yourself with some sort of disease? No, right? Really, really bad idea. Do you think you could do an operation on your, on your arm or on your leg? Or on your abdomen after watching a couple episodes of Grey's Anatomy? No. Why not? Because that's not law school. <laughs> that's a TV show, right? It's a copy. Maybe a, arguably a bad copy. But it's a copy of the real, right? Uh, you watch a couple episodes of Fixer Upper. We're big fans of Fixer Upper at my house. You watch a couple of uh, episodes of Fixer Upper, and you're tearing apart the drywall in your house, and you're going to redo the entire thing, right? Bad idea. Let me give you the name of a good contractor. Because that's a copy. I think a really good copy. But a copy of the real, right? These are just TV. They're, they're copies. They're, they're not reality. He says that the old law was just a copy, a bad copy of what the real was. He was trying to move you down the road to maturity. He was trying to have a relationship with you. And he used the old law to do it, but it was just a copy of the real. Why would you want to go back to the copy? Don't forget Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who were thinking about going back into Judaism. And here the Hebrew writer says, why would you go back to a copy? That doesn't make any sense. You've got the real thing right in front of you. Here we are talking about heaven and 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 uh, the forgiveness of sins. And he says, you want to go back to the copy? There's no forgiveness back there. All those things were, all their sins were rolled forward, right? Their sins weren't forgiven. They were winked at. And, and now they have to be dealt with. And you want to go back? It's craziness. Verse 25, he says, now, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own, for, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But, that, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus' sacrifice has the ability 
that the Old Testament sacrifices didn't have. It has the ability to remove your guilt. It has the ability to cleanse your conscience. Those Old Testament sacrifices didn't have that ability. His does. His can take away your guilt. It can take away the regrets. It can make everything clean. But you have to be washed in it. You've got to submit. Listen to what he says in verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who, who are eagerly waiting for him. He says he's already dealt with sin at the first time. He's not coming back to deal with sin. That's already been dealt with at the cross. The second time he's coming to what? To get the ones who are eagerly waiting for him. Those, have, those of us who have been cleansed. Those of us who have been washed. Who are eagerly awaiting his arrival. Not dreading it. But who are eagerly waiting for him to come back. We don't have any guilt. It's gone. He's cleansed it. And now we're pure and we're holy like He is thanks to the blood of His Son. The one time pure and voluntary sacrifice that was given to erase all of your bad decisions. All the times when you chose yourself over God to deal with the seriousness of sin. That's what His blood does. That's why it's so sweet. That's why it's so precious. Because it does something for us that we could not find anywhere else. Absolution. Forgiveness. There's power in His blood. We sing that song sometimes, don't we? Today, if you're willing to experience the power of His blood, you have to submit to His Word. Through the power of baptism, He washes away your sins and you become day by day transformed more and more closely into the image of his son maybe you've already made that decision this morning and you need the prayers of this congregation to deal with sin to take it seriously and to submit your life to him to bring it to him why don't you come today as we stand and sing
Good morning, church family. Chris, great lesson, brother. Appreciate you. I have a couple announcements before we are dismissed. Um, uh, this evening at 3 o'clock, we'll have Sunday for the Savior uh, from 3 o'clock to 3.45. Um, so please get your children involved in this activity. Also, Young at Heart will meet next Tuesday. There's a sign-up sheet on the four-year board. If you're planning on going to Young at Heart, uh, please sign up so that way we know you're going. We are headed to Fertelli, Fertelli's Italian Restaurant in Huntington. Also, the men's retreat is at Howell's Mill uh, Camp on March 18th through the 19th. So I do encourage all men um, to get your uh, children also involved. You can bring your children to this. Uh, you can bring your grandchildren to this event. But we'd love to have you at the men's retreat. Um, and our guest speaker will be Stephen Rogers, so, uh, so that should be exciting. Also, um, ladies' class will meet every Thursday at 10 o'clock, so all ladies are invited to come to the ladies' class. Updates on our prayer list. Uh, Roger Pryor is now at home. Um, he's recovering. Um, he's out at St. Mary's, but uh, he needs to do um, some physical therapy but doesn't want to. So uh, remember to keep Roger and Peg in your prayers during this time. Also, remember to continue to keep the Sullivan family in your prayers at this time, the loss of Junior. I have a card here uh, from Sullivan family. It says, during a time like this, we learn how much our family and friends really mean to us. Your expression of sympathy will always be remembered. Thank you for the food, the flowers, the calls, in your thoughtfulness, the Sullivan, Sullivan family. This card will be posted out in the foyer board. But uh, remember that family in your prayers as well. Remember, continue to keep Jennifer Baker in your prayers as well as she goes through her treatments. Um, Hunter Thompson has a friend named Tucker um, who... This is always sad when someone, someone young tries to take their life, but uh, he's tried to commit suicide... Um, just pray that he knows that he has uh, life is very important, um, and uh, and he has plenty of friends and families and prayers out there to help him through his time of need. Also, J.B. Lawson um, is having some uh, heart complications, um, so remember continue to keep uh, uh, J.B. Lawson in your prayers. Also, the Lawson's grandson, 14 years old. Um, he is a pacemaker, and they are going to cut it off and cut it back on. Uh, so remember to keep this young man in your prayers as they do that. Um, for those who don't have Facebook, um, uh, remember to keep uh, James and, and Kristen in your prayers. James wrote uh, something on Facebook that I'd like to read to y'all since some of y'all don't get Facebook. Um, and for those who weren't looking at Facebook during Chris's lesson, um, but uh, it says, Hello, everyone. My first post on Facebook. I am asking all the prayers for my beautiful wife. She is having some major seizures at this time. Please pray for peace and comfort for her and her family. She is, to she is totally a warrior and a fighter. She has been through so much and has given everything she possibly could for our family. Thank you for all that you have done so to encourage 
her for the last 23 years. I will forever be grateful for all of you. May God please give her mercy and bring her home peacefully. Much love to all. James Ward. Just remember that family in your prayers at this time. That's all the announcements I have. Looking forward to seeing everybody again at 4 o'clock. We will sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing number 216, He Leadeth Me. Sing the first two verses, and then Brother Dickie Parker will have a prayer. First two verses, He Leadeth Me. He leadeth me, oh, blessed God. pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we are so thankful to have this time and this opportunity to gather here this morning to hear your word and sing songs of praise to thee. Father, it's our hope and desire that everything said and done here was pleasing to thy sight. Father, we have several in our number that need comfort and need you to touch them and be with them. Father, those that have lost loved ones, those that are sick, those that are fighting cancer. Father, we ask that you specially be with Kristen that you watch over, comfort, and bless her, and bless her family, Father. You bring them peace. Father, we ask, we're so thankful for Chris, Father, and the word that he brought to us today. Father, we ask that you let us take what we heard, your word, put it on our hearts. Let, it, let us apply it to our lives, Father. Let us, let us fight sin. Let us be the, the light that you want us to be, Father. Father, as we go out into that world, we ask that you give us strength and guidance and direction, that we do your will, Father, that we strengthen your church, that we make it grow for you. Father, we ask you special that you be with the people of Ukraine, and especially those brothers and sisters of the household of faith, that you be with them and protect them, Father. And Father, we thank you for Jesus and the love that he had for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat>